what was happening internally at that point? You know, was there still like some ego stuff kind of starting to bubble up and was the label having much influence or input on what you guys were doing? Uh, the ego things were, were probably higher than it's ever been now at this point. Um, you know, you got, um, um, Walter who had, you know, had success on Brickhouse singing lead. And then of course, desiring to, to lead more songs. Um, we had what we call the, uh, welfare program. <laughs> and it was designed to, uh, keep guys involved. Some of them obviously weren't as creative as others. So uh, we would sort of ghostwrite for that person or whatever, just to get their names on the records to make sure that, you know, to try to make sure that everybody felt a part of. Then of course, uh, after three times a lady, um, Kenny Rogers approached uh, a, a manager to uh, solicit a song. And of course, Lionel had been writing, you know, the, the ballads and very successfully. And he and I co-wrote, you know, most of the songs on, on, on our albums when you look at the total songs, number of songs recorded. And so I had a, a, a unique relationship, obviously being the founder of the group and having recruited Lionel and recruited all the guys. So there was an obligation, I felt, um, to sort of try to keep down some of the, um, the whatever energy that was bubbling to uh, a minimum. And, uh, and then of course you, you have Motown Records who has successfully had Smokey Robinson in the Miracles and then Smokey do his solo album. And then of course, uh, Dave Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. And you know, then you had uh, Gladys Knight in the Pips and then Gladys did her successful solo album. Diana Ross. Diana Ross in the Supremes, you know what I mean? So you had that element nagging at Lionel saying, hey, you know, you, you should do your own album and it, you know, and so, of course, um, Kenny Rogers' manager, um, um, Ken Cragen, who managed Kenny, you know, he uh, when the offer came up to collaborate with him, uh, our manager, uh, instead of presenting it to the band as a project, he presented it to Lionel as a project in hopes of trying to avoid Lionel from signing with Ken Cragen as a solo, as a, as a, um, as a solo art, as a, you know, a single artist or whatever. So you had management trying to keep things together, but at the same time trying to grow, which was a normal thing. You know, it's like, um, no managers or Urban A's off or anybody else. Managed just one act, you know. So Benny Ashburn had earned the rights 
in my opinion, to reach out and not just be exclusively obligated to the Commodores. But then you had some of the guys not really feeling that. You know, I talk about this in my book, you know, uh, Rock and Soul, and it's a great, it's a great read. It gives a little insight on uh, some of the internal things of that uh, not only was a, a, a crucial part of what was happening, but it played into actually the music and everything, you know, and the creativity. Um, so Lionel invited me, obviously, to participate with the Kenny Rogers Project. Um, I, we The album was uh, huge. Um, I mean, Lady just went 10 million units, you know? And uh, uh, he and I co-wrote um, uh, another song called Without You In My Life for that project. And then here comes Donna Ross with Endless Love, you know, wanting a Lionel Richie song. And of course, um, now, meantime, the band is like, um, they're looking at me like, oh, this guy, he's over there with Lionel. And then he comes back over here with us. And then he goes back over there with Lionel versus looking at it like, oh man, uh, let's use the Rolling Stone as our model. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, in order to be a super, super act, we gotta have a Mick Jagger. We gotta have a Michael Jackson, you know what I mean? We gotta have a Lionel Richie. Uh, it's, and that's a good thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but they didn't quite see it like that. It was like, oh man, um, you know, he's going to leave us and then we're going to be strapped and, you know, we can't, you know, allow this to happen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, but at the same time. Were you, were you kind of pulling your hair out over this? Oh, yeah. I'm, in the meantime, I'm pulling my hair out because, you know, I'm like, <coughs> Reminding all these guys, hey, look, Lionel, had I not talked to your grandparents, you know, and convincing them to let you be in the band, you know, let's let's revert back to those grounded days. Oh, guys, Walter, you know, you were in this other band. You remember, you you were so happy to be a part of this band. You wanted to sign your life away for a week of salary. I said, no, I'm gonna make you make you a part of this. <laughs> you know? Uh, and of course, you know, William King was not the most creative person in the world, but we still gave him credits. You know, ghost writing or whatever we had to do to do whatever we had to do, you know, to uh, the welfare program, we call it, you know. <laughs> so, but at the same time, we had an album that we had to do, you know? And so um, um, you have James Carmichael, who is like a, you know, the brilliant guy that he is, um, and is humble and, you know, very, very kind. Um, 
Gentlemen, gentlemen, let's get back on 217. That was our slogan, you know. <laughs> so 217 is a chapter in my book as well. And we talk about that, how we would use 217, page 217, as a, um, uh, um, it was a, it was a make. Yes, yes. <laughs> is that a Bible page or what is it? No, no, no. <laughs> Two, page 217 is a page where everybody's on the same page. And everybody's on one accord. And everybody is, is, is all, you know, hands on board. And, you know, we're, we're moving forward. <laughs> What's the significance of those numbers, though? Anything? No, no. This just happened to be a number, 217. <laughs> <laughs> So, so did 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 Lionel um, leave on his own accord? Did he get pushed out? How how did that split happen? Um, well, it's um, when you look at all of the the um, internal force, internal uh, elements that's going on. Um, Lionel is one of those guys that, you know, he is, um, sometimes it's, it's hard. He's a Gemini. <laughs> so it's hard for him sometimes, you know, he'll say yes, but then in his heart, he knows he really should have said no. People pleaser. People pleaser. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so... Um, with that being said, it's like, um, uh, <coughs> yeah, it's a, who, who doesn't want to do a solo record, you know, uh, if you have an opportunity, that's a natural thing. And, um, but to the media, he, you know, he was like, oh man, I will never leave the Commodores, uh, the, the Commodores, and, you know, that, you know, they're, uh, and the word gets around that maybe he's leaving and no, he, uh, he, you know, I'm not one foot in, one foot out, you know, but at the same time, uh, guys pushing him out with, you know, things that weren't <clears throat> conducive for um, being there, you know what I mean? So, uh, excuse me, because you can't allow insecurities, envy, jealousy, and all that stuff to, I mean, because that, uh, that's, that's, that's typically what happens to bands. And so we, my thing was, okay, guys, we're not going to be like those other guys, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's kind of like a kid walking down the block with with the kids that he grew up with and see the kids cross town and say, man, you know, kids cross town, man, they, they get in trouble all the time. We're not going to be like that. <laughs> you know, and you point out all the stuff that happens and that causes that kind of stuff that, that happened, even though you point it all out before you know it, you know, it's like, whoa, are we those guys across town? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you said you wanted to be the Black Beatles, but I don't think you meant it that you would get that kind of, you know, turmoil within the group. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. The wives got involved and, you know, next thing you know, you know, the wives are not getting along. So now next thing you know, you know, it's filtered over into the group meetings, you know, and uh, one thing leads to another, you know. Um, do, do, do you anticipate that, that Lionel would have that degree of success on his own record? No, I don't think he did either. And uh, because nobody had at that point, Donald Ross hadn't, you know, Gladys Knight hadn't, Smokey Robinson hadn't, you know, um, nobody at Motown. And so, uh, but with, um, the marketing and of course, uh, James Carmichael uh, being there, uh, a part of that whole creative machine. Um, man, it was, it was amazing. I mean, when uh, Truly came out, <clears throat> it just kept that same momentum going that we had, we had started. And um, of course, a lady I mean, 10 million units, come on back. I mean, that's like, whoa, you know? And so we knew that um, the number, the, the amount of number, consistent number ones that he had was just unbelievable. It was yeah. like, you know? It, it was shocking, yeah. It was, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and so he and I, you know, remain um, friends and just uh, kept um, going back to the band, the guys and saying, look, man, you know, um, it's going to be okay. We, you know, the, um, the Rolling Stones, remember, <laughs> it's not the Black Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Use that model, you know. <laughs> yeah, they go on forever. Right. <laughs> I got, I got to ask you, Thomas, so um, always was curious, and now that I have you, um, why, why did the both the Commodores and even when Lionel went off on his own, why did funk, the funk side of it, get put to the back burner so much? You know, um, more ballads, more sort of pop, and right. funk really took a back seat. Why, why do you think that happened on both the Commodores and in Lionel's case, too? Well, uh, part of it was the record label. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you alluded to that earlier with other groups. Why did they chase that sound, you know? Um, the label um, at that time was like, okay, well, we're gonna, you know, the ballots are working <coughs> and, you know, I don't care what you guys put on the record. We're gonna look for that ballot. Mm. So, how did you feel about that? Oh man, I I was I I didn't really um, I I felt like a part of me was being um, smothered in a way that um, was blasphemous i guess i could say you know because it's it's burning down in there 
and you kind of putting a lid on it. And um, it just, it, it, it's, it, it was, um, I never forget one night I was, um, you know how you have these moments sometimes and you go, uh, okay, you know, I'm thankful we're, this is very successful. Um, but I, I would love to just, just go on a, on a, on a funk ride here. <laughs> and, um, but I look back at, uh, even now I, I look at, um, Bruno Mars and how the funk is 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 coming back in in a huge way. Um, you know, you were sampling uh, acts of sampling stuff from that era, and you know, and Ray Parker and Jr. and I were talking yesterday, and he said, "Man, just call T Mac up <laughs> if you want. you don't have to sample anything else." Just <laughs> but. Uh, it's it's um it's amazing how so I was gonna say it's interesting though you said that the label was really so keen on the ballads, but you would think also that maybe they would have said, Hey, replicate brick house again also. But Yeah, you would think that, you know. But um when when you look at the fact that easy, for instance, is the for just for a trivia thing, um, Easy is the most played song in the history of Motown. Mm. So, um, when you look at the dollars and the cents, you know, it makes more sense to chase the dollar. <laughs> there, there, there's irony there, though, that maybe you've probably seen before in that. You know, you guys had so much freedom and you stuck to your guns in the beginning. But then when you achieve such success, it's almost like some of that freedom was scaled back. That's a good, that's an excellent point, Scott. You know, um, <clears throat> I think when I think about it, some of that freedom got lost in, um, in some of the the hogwash, the sideshows, you know. Um, in the beginning, we didn't allow any of that stuff to, to, um, you know, to cloud the atmosphere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We stayed focused, and it was like, okay, um, this is who we are. This is, you know. Uh, I mean, because it took it took time developing that signature sound, mm -hmm. and to just um, walk away from it, it, you know, was not uh, a natural thing. So, you stuck around for a couple more albums, Heroes, and In the Pocket. I think you're also on, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in Heroes. Uh, you really didn't get a big hit off that, but um, in the pocket had Lady, which got you guys back on the chart, and, and Oh No. 
Uh, we rose, we purposely wanted to, we had never done a gospel album. Jesus is Love was the, was the uh, was was a was a big hit from from that album, and um, it, it, it in fact is still being played today. Old Fashioned Love got some play too, right? Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, why did you finally? Exit the band, and or I guess it was around 1983, 84. 84, yeah, right. Well, I um, I wanted to. Um, when you look at what had happened, um, with Lionel, you know, leaving, um, the band was kind of like at a at a point where. I thought we needed to make some some real strategic moves, and versus chasing, trying to find somebody that looked like Lionel, and chasing that whole image and sound. I thought the smartest thing would have been to do like the Doobie Brothers, you know when. Mike, Michael McDonald didn't sound anything like the previous singer, lead singer. And they, you know, made another creative statement that <clears throat> kept going, you know. And I wanted to do something like that. I wanted to, I wanted to even entertain maybe a female or anything or any sound <clears throat> that was different. So that creatively we could keep going and keep, you know, go back to the funk and go, you know, back into uh, other innovative places. You wanted to grow. Yeah, I wanted to grow. And uh, the, those guys, they were stuck on trying to find somebody that sound and look like Lionel Richie. Hmm. And I was like, gentlemen, this is not you know this in my opinion the best move um because lionel is gonna be lionel you, can, you can't you know uh, trying to find somebody that look like lionel is not gonna fool the audience to make them think lionel is still up there mm -hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> and then of course management was very important. Um, they kept picking managers that were dead in streets. And that's a very important part of the team. And if you know if you don't have vision at the top, then you know it's 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 not it's not a good it's not a good look. I would say, especially in the '80s, when it really got to be corporate, you know, in right. our business. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so you put out a solo record, though, uh, self-titled in '84, and um, were you pleased with how that came out? Did it come out how you had in envisioned, and um, what about how it was accepted? You, you didn't do another one after that. What What are your feelings about that solo record? 
Um, I was um, I was at a I was in a in a, in a crossfire, if you will. Um, and that I'll explain. Um, Motown felt like okay if I left. Lionel had left. If I left, then eh, that's, you know, it's really not really good for the band. And, but at the same time, um, from all the stuff I described to you, you know, the band was um, not really the same thinking wise, you know. Um, and um, so they said, well, look, why don't you, We'll do an album on you. One, you know, if you want to do an album, you know, and uh, you can still be in the band, do an album, and do whatever. And at that time, it was so much going on, you know, with Lionel, me, the band, and um, I just really kind of rushed in and did did something just because they were putting pressure on me. But at the same time, they didn't promote it. They they put um, uh, the Commodores, uh, which I had worked on um, the, um, and that's a funny story too, about Night Shift. I, I played a, um, a a demo for one of the songs and it sounded a lot like Night Shift. Oh no. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. Um, uh, they they released Night Shift, my record, and Lionel's record at the same time. Huh. So, are those three components? Who do you think they're gonna put the money behind? You know. <laughs> well, and I was gonna ask you about Night Shift, and now that you told me that information, I can imagine, but. Um, you know, of course, that was the one and only real hit for the Commodores after Lionel. Right. Um, amazingly, I think as amazing as some of those other things you told me, like uh, Easy being the most played Motown song of all time, and um, the Tenants record you guys set, and uh, Machine Gun being the first gold record, see, I remember. Um, all those things, I think just as amazing is that Night Shift is the only Grammy that the Commodores got. Exactly. And I don't know, Scott, if you're familiar with how the Grammy Awards are, um, you know, that whole thing is about block voting. Um, we've had, uh, the Commodores have had, uh, I don't know, what, seven or eight nominations or whatever for Grammys. And Motown being a small label, unless you can get other labels to uh, block vote with you, it's almost impossible to to win a, a Grammy um, with just the votes that you have internally as a small label. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was kind of more or less, um, um, I don't know if you call it poetic justice or sympathy, you know, <laughs> but um, we had been nominated so many times and hadn't won. And so 
with this one opportunity. Uh, uh, now, by this time, Motown had also sold um, uh, to Universal. So that was the that was the deciding factor. Universal was now distributing Motown, which gave a Motown artists more votes from a Grammy perspective. Mm. So that's why Night Shift won a Grammy at that time because for the first time now, Motown is not just utilizing their little votes to try to win. Mm you know, and to network with other, um, uh, a small label has to network with the larger ones in order to win Grammys. Uh, you know, the system sounds about, uh, it's working as well as our presidential voting system right now, but we'll get it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's almost like that. You can have, if you don't have the electoral votes, I don't care how many popular votes you get, you know, it's the same kind of deal with those Grammys. Uh, you you got to have votes from uh, uh, other labels to, to win. For me, all the other Commodore Grammy nominations I would put ahead of Night Shift, but. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> um, in talking about this amazing catalog of music, uh, Thomas, is there any track sort of buried in there that is a kind of a hidden gem in your opinion that you think people ought to go back and, and listen to and really pay attention to? Yes. What? Uh, Come Inside is, is one that comes to mind. Uh, it's a very... Hot on the tracks? Um, so we're, move, we're moving on. Um, it's either moving on or hot on the tracks. I think it is either. Yeah, I think it is uh, hot on the tracks. Yep, got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Welcome Home is uh, 13. Um, trying to think of some others. Um, Excuse me. Those are the two that comes right off the top of my head, though. All right. So people go out there, go back, and give those another listen. Um, so, Thomas, what are some of the um, highlights of your career or life in a nutshell, um, you know, from the later 80s until more recently? Well, you know, <laughs> I am very happy to say that I'm, I've been happily married, you know, to a wife 25 years, and my kids are incredible kids. I have triplet boys and wow. twin girls, and they are all um, musically inclined, but they also have other attributes that are just in my, um, amazing. Um, um, international business majors, and uh, they speak several languages, mm -hmm. and they um, are very articulate. They, uh, in fact, there's a um, 
television <clears throat> uh, producers uh, that are uh, extended a possible television show for them. And um, it is a, the, one of the most gratifying things for me now to perform live with them. With, uh, uh, <clears throat> my act is called uh, The Commodore's Experience. Uh, featuring Thomas McClary, the founder of the Commodores. And to have them uh, as co-writers now of some new material that we're doing, it is ex really, really, really exciting um, to continue the funk, if you will, <laughs> in a way uh, with the millennium now being my kids. And um, to still have a relationship with Lionel and, and the guys, you know, even though the guys sued me. <laughs> I, um, What's with that? <laughs> right. What can you say on that? Can you say whatever you want? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the guys, one thing that uh, Benny Ashburn did um, that, that uh, and I talk about this in my book, so it's not, you know, um, it, it's not like I'm giving up some secrets. So, so. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind, but I don't want to get you in trouble either. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and and since it's still in litigation, maybe I should maybe I should just uh, you know uh, I'll just say this though. Um, I look at life and how um, you can have all the things in the world, but if you don't have joy and peace, you know. All these things don't mean anything, you know? And I've been fortunate to have joy and peace. And and even those guys, you know, I still love them. <laughs> and I'm still trying to do a reunion, mm -hmm. despite the fact, you know? And I think that um, that uh, and I even, you know, I even tell Lionel, I don't care, American Idol, all the stuff that you do, until you do a reunion, you still would not have become as big as you can. Because the reunion of the guys, of the original guys, is still what a lot of fans want to see. No question. How could they not, you know? I think also if you guys manage to do that, it might, you know, not that you maybe care about it, but it might help get um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recognition, which I think also is long overdue. Oh, uh, that's Scott. That's amazing you were saying. That. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, you know, there's um, um, egos as a way of uh, envy and jealousy has a way of uh, eating away at things that that are. Um, could be, I mean, yeah, we're legends in terms of 
what we've done, you know, with the music and being the first band to um, in Motown Records to go gold and all this stuff, you know, um, sell hundreds of millions of records around the world. I mean, it's not a country in the world that we can't go to and and not hear one of our songs, you know. That's all great, you know. But the greatest thing, I think, still is to um, come back together. If it's not but just for a fair where, I mean, you look at the Eagles, I'll never forget um, the, uh, you know, thank God, you know, before, you know, uh, Glenn passed away, they, they still, had, you know, they got back together, you know? And yeah, they had bitter disagreements. Yeah, they did. You know, it's like hell freezes over before they got back together. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they, they took that and, you know, that's called taking a lemon and making lemonade out of it. You know what I mean? Uh, and I see the Commodores is the same kind of a thing, you know. Um, but had the shoe been on the other foot, I don't think, it, you know, it, the chances of, of a reunion probably would be, you know, out of the window. But just so happened, um, um, <laughs> they sued me and I am a forgiving guy. So I'm not, you know, um, if, if tomorrow that phone call came like, hey man, let's do this, let's do this and get this, you know, reunion going. I'll be the first, you know, leading the pack. Uh, well, that's, I mean, obviously you got to put differences aside and think of what the fans want and think of the legacy enduring forever. Um, yeah. Some things are bigger than individuals. That's it. That's it. Well, you know, they, uh, they, 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 they sued me for trademark infringement. <laughs> trademark infringement. You know, I, how, can you how can you do that of the first Commodore? Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is funny. <laughs> That's what I would say to the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. It's amazing what goes on though, in the music industry. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. crazy stuff like with war and... Um, just nuts stuff out there. But um, we're all very hopeful and just very glad to hear that you're open to it if it if it ever uh, has the opportunity to materialize, so. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. So in the meantime, are you playing any shows, you know, in the States or, you know, can people? Oh yes, yes, okay. yes, uh, Atlantic City, uh, my next show, um, see, um, we're, um, we're all over the place. Uh, we um, uh, we just did Europe, you know, uh, London, uh, Switzerland, um, Germany. Um, I saw a clip of you on Facebook. I think you were you were serenading someone at an airport or something. Oh cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, that was in London. That was this is crazy. <laughs> In fact, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you some links of, of some of my live stuff. Uh, oh, I love it. Oh uh, man, we, we you talking about high energy? 
This is one song, um, uh, Mr. Cool Breeze. I mean, it is, I mean, every time we perform this live, it is like killer, you know, it, it's, it's so hot. This is the only song that we can uh, follow Brick House with, you know. I don't know if it's anything like it, but it just makes me think of Mr. Cool by Brothers Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know that song? Yeah, yeah Scott, why you? Check it out, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that was a jam. Yeah, it's not jam. Yeah. So how can folks keep up with you, Thomas? Okay, uh, I told Beryl um, to give me this information because I have, you know, um, my social media people, they, they do all this stuff. And they and they like, Thomas, you gotta commit this to memory. This is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um Instagram, it's uh it's, it's Thomas underscore McClary. And of course, um I can be uh, my website is uh thomasmcclary.com. Um and you can also uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, and all that stuff uh, is uh, the same. Uh, and the book is in hardcover, and you can get it at Amazon, and yes. is it available uh, everywhere, or just Amazon? Or? Oh, Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, and um, what's the other website? Well, you can, they can get it on my website as well. Um, and in fact, the book is called Rock and Soul. And um, it is, um, man, it's getting great reviews. So we're, we're, we're excited about it. How long did it take you to do that? Took me a year, which is kind of fast uh, compared to what I've heard with some other writers, you know, um, but it took me a year. But I worked on it, you know, almost every day, I guess, three days a week at least. <laughs> well, it seems like um, from what I know in the little we know each other, um, I feel like once you get focused on something, you zero in pretty good. So. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you a copy of the book. That's right. I'm gonna send you a copy of the book, and um, uh, I'll be interested to hear you know your comments. That'd be fantastic. I'm a little behind in my reading to give you an idea. I just finished uh, Maurice White's book, and that came oh. out December of tw uh, uh, 2016. So right, yeah. right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely would love that. So thank you. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you so much for spending so much time with me and for coming on Truth and Rhythm. You know, you talked about finding joy in life. This was joy for me getting to talk to you about all this great Commodore's history. So thank you. Oh, Scott, thank you so much for your time and interest in wanting to talk to me. And uh, I want to thank all those fans out there, too, for all that support over these years. And um, fasten your seatbelt because we've got a rock and soul uh, project that's coming out musically as well. So if you're still hungry for some of that, uh, you know, signature sound of the Commodores, you're going to get it with this new record that we got. Coming out. All right, we're going to hold you to that. Check back with you in a year or so. 
You got it. <laughs> Did I tell you? Incredible stories and so much inside baseball into the Commodore's process, songs, records, and history. I got to tell you, I gained a better understanding of why they moved away from the deep funk and soul that drew me to them initially. And that gave me an appreciation of their song craft and talent, even as they eventually got too mellow and too mainstream for my tastes. A huge thanks to my special guest, Mr. Thomas McClary, a guiding force of the mighty Commodores, who in my opinion should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So voters, wake up and let's get them in. As always, once again, a sincere thank you to you, the viewers and listeners of Truth and Rhythm. Be sure to be on the lookout for upcoming episodes of Truth and Rhythm and catch up with previous installments at FunkinStuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. Very important, please subscribe on YouTube to the Funkin' Stuff channel where Truth and Rhythm lives. We need that support. Show these great artists that you believe in them, you support them, and that you love the funk, R&B, and jazz that they've brought to all of us through the years. Subscribe. Get friends to subscribe. We need it. Thank you. Much appreciated. And I want to hear from you. Write me at scottg at funkinstuff.net and uh, tell me what you like about the show, who else you want to see on the program. been hearing from a lot of folks out there, and it's fantastic. So keep it going. It's a two-way street. The show is for you. So with that, as always, this is Scott, Dr. Jake Skullfine, signing off by saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.